This week on the podcast, you're a wizard, Harry. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric are going to join me for a conversation about the Harry Potter movies. Uh, yep, yeah, we're jumping on that clickbait bandwagon, it's the 20th anniversary of the Harry Potter movie series, and... Boy, lots of change since the last uh, 20 years, hasn't it? One thing that hasn't changed, Eric never watched all the movies. He's more of the person who read the books. I read the books, Chris read the books. Chris and I have also been re-watching the movies lately. And uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to see where we are 20 years on with Harry Potter. Uh, we've also got the usual fresh shit section where we talk about more other current things that we've been reading, watching, doing, etc. So uh, check the timestamps or the show notes to see what interests you. Skip around if you like. Uh, and as always, to contact us, uh, you can find us on Twitter. We are at MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E. We're on Facebook and Instagram as the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Uh, you can email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, and find links to uh, all of those things on our website, maghuge.com. Find our old episodes there, or, you know, subscribe to the podcast, rate it on iTunes, spread the word on your social media feeds. Um, yeah, that's the usual thing for the intro, so let's, uh, let's get to the meat of it. Welcome back to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. If we could get you to double your donations this week, we could keep this ministry alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we went wrong. We should have set up a tax shelter yeah, church really. or something. Uh, yes, LLC praise the Lord. In the praise kings. the Lord. Uh, he's magnificently huge. The Lord. <laughs> I, I say. I will explain when we get to uh, our our. I'm not going to say it. I bet okay, you guys great. might want to gab. Uh, well, let's no, introduce no. ourselves first. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, this is Brian. This is Chris. This is the Reverend Eric J. Reed. <laughs> Woo, praise be. <laughs> praise so, be. <laughs> praise you, the Lord. Uh, you just traveled uh, this week, correct? By aeroplane. How was that? I did. I went to Austin for um for a work thing and I got to tell you I was <laughs> I I uh, had a connection in Seattle where I had explosive diarrhea. I did not eat the entire <laughs> trip in Austin, nice. I don't think. And uh came back uh, uh with a spring of my step. Well, good. I mean, not the next to report. Chris, Chris is still the person who has d done the least venturing out into the world because he's he's rightly terrified. I mean, it's not like the COVID death numbers are lower than they've ever been. Uh, in well, fact, they're at about the highest they've ever been. But you know, thanks, well, Omicron. I've uh, I've been <laughs> but, going yeah. out more since I moved here to Chicago. I'm exploring more. So, uh, yeah, it's I'm getting out a, a, a wee bit. But uh, still not going to the movies or anything like that. So I'm going to wait until those are safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, with 
as I mentioned in the last show, I actually did get COVID as a result of this behavior, but, um, you know, I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted, and I refuse to cede the outside world to assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. So, so, you know, um, if I get sick, hopefully it'll continue to be mild, and if they get sick, that's on them. Well, I, I, I do not care. I am uh, very interested to hear what you fellas have been uh, consuming media-wise this week, if I may be so bold as to ask what the fresh shit will be. This shit is fresh! Eric, you seemed particularly motivated. What do you got? I watched. Okay, this this is uh, uh, uh this was on uh, HBO Max. The Eyes of Tammy Faye, oh, okay. a biography of Tammy Faye Baker. <laughs> how I thought you were going to say Righteous Gemstones. I knew it was one of the two. Tammy Faye. It was okay. one of the two. Yeah. How was uh How was Andrew Garfield? Okay. Well, let me start and say that Jessica Chastain is amazing because. Yeah. Uh, she like tr- there's a transformation you know that is a lot of makeup that that is just it's startling uh, I didn't you know didn't know she could sing she can absolutely sing I didn't know that Tammy Faye Baker was a singer um, yeah and it's 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 uh, it's the kind of thing where you basically by the end of it you understand that Tammy Faye Baker was just sort of an idiot who, who wasn't <laughs> part of the machinations going on behind her, uh, yeah. but a good-hearted idiot. Uh, Andrew Garfield. Was she responsible for her own makeup? Because Tammy Faye Baker's makeup was, um, I'll charitably call it iconic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she. Well, one, they, they, I think towards the end, they're giving her slight cheek implants because she has that wider face. Uh, mm-hmm. And Tammy Faye's makeup, for the large part, was tattooed onto her face. So I don't Ugh. think they they went that mm. far. But <clears throat> it was it was pretty intense. Um, the the problem is Jessica Chastain just looks better than Tammy Faye at any point. But <laughs> sure. But it's it is you know she's she's you know just a simpleton along for the ride and you know slowly having her heart broken by Jesus and uh, yeah. Uh, it, uh, Andrew Garfield as Jim Baker is also really amazing. They they give him slight cheek implants too, so he has that cherubic look Jim Baker has. Yeah. But he has that whiny voice, that hey, I think you got a cause of <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's great. It's great. Um, Does it? And he I is having bio- a year. Uh, I hate yeah. biopics. I hate biopics, but. This one, you can kind of feel that it's almost, um, I don't know, a meta uh, uh, biopic because the subject matter doesn't really deserve a biopic. <laughs> and by the well, end of it, on a book, when they have it? the, yeah, when they have the sort of triumphant ending, the triumphant ending is hilarious because half of it is in her head. And you go, oh, yeah, that's right. There's no triumphant ending, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Well, isn't the triumphant ending that she stops being homophobic and becomes an advocate for gay no. rights and stuff? No, no, no. She was an advocate early, early on. And I looked okay. this up, and it's true. When they, when they had the PTL, like the thing when it was in full force, she did, and this is in the movie, she did a, uh, an interview with a man who had AIDS, and it was, you know, she was not judgmental at all. She was very, you know, um, warm 
uh, very okay. forgiving, very loving. That's probably the best way to put it. And uh, there's a whole thing in there with um, Falwell, you know, going apeshit about, you know, rein her in, you know, it's just immoral fags. And she she wasn't having any of that. So Who that's the thing. Falwell. She was actually a gay icon for, for years. I didn't know this. Uh, okay. Like Cher? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of that's good <laughs> so who who uh who played Falwell in this one i can't remember oh uh d'onofrio that's right okay yeah 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 it was a it was a perfect choice too because he has that that cold awful kind of vibe <laughs> yeah it's like and you remember I, how awful jerry Falwell was oh yeah oh i could see him man. just uh making making a, a winky winky choice to play Falwell like uh <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. full metal jacket like pile <laughs> that would be funny uh, no he did it more like uh dick cheney you know just very cold and uh, gotcha okay um <laughs> yeah i i gotta so i gotta should say we watch though, it though i gotta say though i watched this and i i i realize the thing about christians is you get two kinds one is the sort of loving and forgiving kind that's actually in you know uh, uh, the teachings of Jesus and the other kind is sort of the hateful, angry power grubbing kind. And they're the ones who give these Christians a bad name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think if, you, if well, you're a Christian, maybe you ought to try being the first like one Jesus. and not the second one. And yeah. then maybe you wouldn't have such a bad name out there. But there's such an opportunity to make money. Eric. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> I yeah. mean, we, we can't pass up that money. But even like Tithe the average, bitches. even like the average Christian, like where where is the gain in going? I I hate you know gays and Jews and communists. Where is yeah. where is the gain in hating anybody? Mm-hmm. Well, if uh, it gets you power with your select subgroup, then yeah, that's the deal. I guess but whatever you know. That's, yeah. If you're like that's the coolest di- guy in the garage, maybe. But you know, yeah, that's a, that's a discussion for work. another day. <laughs> I mean, you all hate hate the same amount, so yeah. So whatever did when you watch so if your friends turned into racist homophobes, would you turned into one too? Sure. No, anyway, <laughs> so when you watch this thing, did you have flashbacks to like when PTL was on all the time, and it was like one of the oh, four yeah. channels available? God, there were some <laughs> yeah. bits in there I'd actually seen when they happened and was dropping acid. Yeah, because we used to that used to be <laughs> one of the fun things to do on drugs was to watch, uh, you know, these people. Yeah. The praise the lord oh. network oh god it's it's really worth watching it's uh i wouldn't say it's fun but it is at times very funny <laughs> awesome okay. yeah okay. yeah it's it seemed like a question mark for me like do i want to watch this or not you know so i yeah. definitely didn't go to the theater for this one it's definitely yeah. because and, of the, the whole thing I- biopic thing it's sort of like you like you're saying it's just eh, what are you yeah. what are you in for you know what i mean yeah, biopics all sort of follow the same formula, but usually they're about people you already are aware of and you already know their story, you know? And so there's no point at all in seeing it. Yeah. And this one, it's more like I would never sign up to watch a uh, a biopic about these people, but <laughs> they kind of know that, you know? Okay. <laughs> it's it's right. in, it, in that way, it's very camp. And uh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Good. Okay. Good. There, Good. You got another I, I, I'm thing, gonna, Eric? I got to find the clip of uh, Jim Baker uh, freaking out 
and 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 add that as the clip for this show because it's so funny. You used to take care of me, Tammy. You stopped taking care of me. I don't want to take care of you, Jim. I don't want to be your mother. A woman needs a man in a relationship. I am a man. You're a boy. I built all this. I built you an empire. You built you an empire. No man could ever give you enough. You're a bottomless pit. And you keep on asking me for more with that whiny, grating, Betty Boop voice. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Um, uh, yeah, the other thing. Uh, did I mention Station Eleven last week? Yes. You did. Okay, I've been watching that more. Still good and still all over the place. It's like every episode is it jumps it's a narrative that jumps around, right? From from uh character to character, from moment to moment. But it all does it with a single episode, so it's not disjointed. It's like one episode is absolutely all about, you know, the day the world fell apart. This other one is all about this other character who ends up the 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 leader of a tribe in an airport it's it's just really well done and i still strongly recommend station 11 Uh, for halloween i am definitely making my own captain 11 costume you'll understand when you watch (laughs) you hope so that's that's what i got that's what i got nice all right that's not bad for a, a a travel week eric kudos yeah 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 Oh, yeah, and also I've still got stuck in my head. Jesus is lifting me higher, higher. Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Higher and higher, higher and higher. It's, it's amazing how fast that gets locked into your brain when you watch Eyes of Tammy Faye. God. Please stop. I, I'd like to thank you for making me look that clip up, Eric. Thank you yeah. so much. Chris, you got any fresh shit? Uh, I got a little bit, yeah. You want to hear it? Yeah. Okay. Since you asked so nicely, I'll tell you. Uh, so finished the uh, tenth season of Letterkenny on the Hulu's, which I don't okay. think either of you guys have watched yet, which is too bad because it's one I, of the you know, most ridiculous it's, shows. I'm never in the mood for it. <laughs> really? It's so. Yeah. I don't know how to quite explain it. It's sort of like a live action version of South Park if done by Canadians. I mean, that's. It just, it, it just seems like a hangout, right? Like, it's just a hangout. Yeah, it is. I mean, the episodes are only like 20 minutes or so, and they're so mm-hmm. goofy, but they also, this season had a couple where they really pushed the boundaries of good taste, just all for the joke. Like, there's a whole episode around uh, them getting their prostate exam, but it starts out with them being hesitant and then kind of figuring out what it's for, and then it just kind of spirals out from there. It's just so ridiculous, but they've got so much inside slang over the course of 10 seasons that it's like, if you Mm -hmm. don't watch letter Kenny and you start dropping, hear someone drop one of these, you're not going to know it like pitter patter. And, uh, Texas so is the uh, show sort 4. of incomprehensible if you haven't been watching it. <laughs> this season wasn't as bad because they didn't really follow like the timeline. They they went back to just doing one-off episodes that don't really have much connective tissue, which was nice. I I mean, I asked that question as if this podcast wasn't that incredible. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but uh but it's a funny ass show. It's definitely an acquired taste. I would recommend it to anybody. Uh, cuz it's just so goofball 
and it's committed to being that. And it's just, I salute it <laughs> uh, more than anything. Uh, What's it on again? It's on Hulu. So okay. just start with that. But it's super, super Canadian. Like, really hardcore <laughs> Canadian because they don't give a shit. Uh, and so it just never really veers into any sort of uh, we got to court the American audience. They don't. They don't care. They just. They stick to it and uh, do their thing, and it's awesome. Uh, so it's it's fun. Uh, also been watching the new season of The Witcher, which is good. Oh, and it's also it? I haven't gotten there yet. It's it's weird because they're doing an actual chronologically linear narrative this season. Which is just well, you strange. Can only watch that gag once. Yeah, but it's strange when you watch the first season. You're like, "What the hell is going on?" And then about midway through, you realize, "Oh, I get it. They're jumping around in the timeline and blah blah blah." So this one, I'll it's be like, honest with you, I never quite put that timeline together in my head in the first season. I was just like, "Okay, sure." Yeah. Well, they've also got a thing on Netflix. You, you can look it up. It's like a 15 minute thing where it's the chronological recap of the first okay. season of Witcher. That, and that it, might be a good idea before I start season yeah, two. It'll it'll help put some of the stuff into focus for you. Um, but Henry Cavill's still the implacable Geralt of Rivera. Uh, only this time he's got the, the young princess as his ward because he's sworn to protect her. Uh, and then there's a whole lot of stuff at the the castle keep where the, the witchers all go for the winter to rest and recoup. And so you get a lot of that stuff. So it's just uh, like a lot of world building. The witchers like head south for the winter and also hibernate. Yeah, basically. basically. Uh, Okay. And then there's just a lot of weird stuff. So they're they're really just pressing the uh, the lore of this universe uh, and expanding on it. So not a lot has happened yet. I'm waiting for some other plot pieces to kick in so we can kind of get on with it. So I'm about halfway through. But it still looks glorious. Henry Cavill is still fun. So if you like Witcher then you'll like this because it's it's still the witcher so that's my only real big thing and then really the toss a coin to it yeah toss a coin to it uh and then the only other goofball thing is i broke down i finally watched just on a lark uh the 2013 movie gangster squad with uh yeah (laughs) with like a bevy of like sean penn plays uh what's his face I can't remember the guy. It's, it's so forgettable that I've just totally uh, dropped it from my mind. But it's <laughs> I couldn't it's basically why like he was in that. Yeah, because he's like I don't know. The whole thing is sort of like Ruben Fleischer, the guy that made Zombieland, decided he wanted to make a gangster flick, and so he made this about uh, basically just a, a. Oh, is this the one where in the trailer they or they were coming through the movie screen shooting everybody in the theater and it was about to be released right when somebody actually kind of did that during the Batman thing and so they had to reshoot the ending. Oh, I have no is idea. Is this that one? I don't think so, but I don't know. I, I think I, it is. It's uh, uh yeah, it's just uh it's it's basically <laughs> it's Josh Brolin is the leader of this like uh special detail squad that's uh like uh, under under wraps it's quiet nick nolte's the commissioner who assigns him to just basically break uh the gangsters in la so that they don't take a foothold and it's just super violent and it looks expensive and it's slick because it's set in the 40s and blah 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 but it's just so empty (laughs) so devoid uh because it's what's his face the guy from uh blade runner 2049 in the notebook and uh 
Uh, Ryan Gosling. Yes, Ryan Gosling. He's just so forgettable in this, uh, playing sort of the <laughs> the wise ass cop that gets conscripted, and then you've got uh, like a whole man. Basically, it's like they watched the Untouchables and took all of the wrong lessons from the Untouchables because you've got this like you've got the the squad of all the iconic guys that like the tough guy and the smart guy and this guy and whatever, and they're just there to take down uh, the the mob. But it's just like this fantastical version of L.A. in the '40s. And it's just so dumb. And Emma Stone is just so poorly miscast as the femme fatale that it's just laughable. I normally like her and stuff, but this one, it's just like, you are the wrong actress for this role. Sorry. <laughs> and it never makes yeah. sense. It's just, it's just there to like do Zombieland gags where they can like bust skulls and blow up heads and things. And it's just violence for violence sake. And it's just, it's more Mulholland Falls than uh, Untouchables by the time you get through it. It's just so ludicrous. <laughs> but if you're looking for a huh. good two hours to just like kill without thinking, go ahead. I had to watch it over like I'm, three I'm days. I'm sure there are better ways to kill two hours, yeah. it sounds like. I literally had I'm to watch it over at three days. The Wikipedia page for this, and you're right, Brian, they had a whole ending where they had a shootout through the screen uh, at Grumman's Chinese Theater, and then Aurora happened, and they they got the whole cast back together to reshoot the entire uh, ending action scene. Wow. Mm-hmm. Dumb. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's um, the whole, the whole thing is telegraphed. Like Giovanni Ribisi plays like the, the, not the, like the gunslinging type cop. He's basically a very smart guy who knows how to do all the tech. And he ends up like they, they wiretap uh, the gangster house, etc., and he's the only guy in the whole squad that actually has kids and a family. So you know, as soon as they introduce him, like that guy's dead by the third reel, <laughs> and then sure enough, he's dead by the end of the movie. It's like this. Come on, guys, you're telegraphing everything. It is so dumb. It is so dumb. <laughs> but Insert hey, clip from Hot Shots. They call me Dead Meat. Yeah, basically, <laughs> that's, what, that's what it is. <laughs> so, and then uh, what's his name? Robert Patrick, the Terminator. Uh, from T2 shows up as like a gunslinging western type crazy sheriff. He's almost like a Yosemite. Does he already type. look basically exactly like John Voight by the by the time they shot this movie? <laughs> pretty pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then oh, oh uh, and then you got a couple of uh, Marvel alums. You got uh, you got Falcon in it as one of the, the gun toting cops, and then uh, Josh Brolin obviously. And then you've got, uh, I, can't, I can't remember his name now, but he's the Ant-Man sidekick. Uh, what's Luis his name? Uh, Pena. No, no. Pena. Yeah. Michael Pena. Oh, Michael yeah. Pena. Yeah, Michael Pena. So you've got all these like uh, weird connections to Marvel and it, it just, it was sort of like distracting almost. Everything has a connection to Marvel now because Marvel yeah. soaks up all the actors. I mean, yeah. I don't think yeah, it's exactly. escapable anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so. between marvel and our topic of harry potter this week yeah we've we've got like one degree of kevin bacon on everything at this point so <laughs> basically yeah. yeah so so yeah so gangster squad uh yeah you know whatever it was it was my one like just stare blankly at the screen while you half asleep on the couch kind of thing so <laughs> all right. think of that That's song from years and years ago gangsta bitch i need a gangsta bitch yeah <laughs> that's probably better gangsta, honestly gangsta squad i need a gangsta squad <laughs> <laughs> so there you go all right 
I, I got a few things. I'm, a couple quick hits. These are basically things I'm not really going to talk about, but I've been wrapping up shows I've been watching. So yeah. I finished Doom Patrol. Don't have anything new to say about that. Um, finished Cowboy Bebop live action. Don't have anything new to say about that. And um, I guess I'm not going to talk about uh, Spider-Man until you guys see it on streaming. I think we need to do Spider-Man when the time comes, but I get why you may not want to go to the theater. So that's fine. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Okay. Not for that. <laughs> really <laughs> really so uh something you should definitely watch at home uh as you know whenever a new one of these comes out i have to mention the ongoing arl knots star wars saga um they've yeah, released their their take on episode seven uh which is called banana time uh so their their conceit for for episode seven is that kylo ren is a talentless pop star with this song called Banana Time. <laughs> and everybody, like, Ray is a big groupie and really, really wants to get tickets to the Kylo Ren uh, extravaganza. Wow. And Han Solo is a scalper. And it's just goofy fun. Um, <laughs> definitely check out more of the Arl Nart Star Wars saga. Um, okay, shows. So the other show I wrapped up that I do want to talk about Doctor Who Flux, season 13, the third season of Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who. Is that her last season? Um, there's a couple specials coming out this year. They've already shot her regeneration, and then uh, Russell, Russell T. Davies takes over as showrunner from Chris Chibnall sometime late this year. Good, but we still don't know who the new Doctor so, is, right? No, we know nothing okay. about what RTD is going to do. Gotcha. Um, but here's the thing about Flux. It is easily the best Doctor Who that Chris Chibnall has written. <laughs> That's, that is a damning phrase. There is definitely a spectrum of, you know, a, a range. Um, and Chris Chibnall's range maybe doesn't fully overlap with, you know, Moffat or, or Russell T. Davies, but yeah. there you are. Um, this is a, a six-episode series. It's all one big story, and... It very much seems like they took the amount of ideas and budget for a 10-episode series and made a six-episode series. Boy, is this thing dense. Uh, it is rushed. It is complicated as hell. Um, and they hit... They, they t take a tour of all... You know, there are cameos from the Cybermen and the Daleks and the Ood and... Um, we've got some pretty big stuff from the Suntarans and the Weeping Angels. I will say this, uh, probably one of the best Weeping Angel episodes ever made uh, was in Flux and was written by Chibnall, so at least he gets that. Um, Moffat took Weeping Angels in directions that just kind of like made them lamer and lamer and lamer, and this one was <laughs> legit like tense and scary again, which was nice. Um... Whitaker as the doctor is excellent. I mean, she's right up there. She is a great doctor. Her problem is the script and the edit. It's just a mess. <laughs> um, yeah, I still, I'm it, still irritated how they just did her such a disservice with those scripts. Uh, that first season, I just, I couldn't go any further. Yeah, because it's just. Ugh. Yeah, they they dropped a lot of the preachiness of that first season of Chim Chibnall. This is just straight up hoogasm. This is like Chibnall knows that he's on his way out, and so it's just throw everything at the wall. And <laughs> okay. 
boy, does he throw everything at the wall. It is a lot of Doctor Who. It's eventually it'll probably show up on HBO Max. Um, I'd recommend watching it, you know, at that point, maybe. But I liked it. I didn't love it. I'm sad about how Whitaker was, yeah, underserved by by Chibnall, and I hope they can right the ship because, you know, Doctor Who's been taking a hit lately. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been on for so long again now. Like, when did it start up again? Like, 2006? So. 2010. No, it's yeah, like, so. no. No, it started way earlier than that. It was like, uh, it was like, I don't oh, think so. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the Ninth Doctor, that was like, well, let's look this up, because... Yeah, I I thought it was 2010. No, because I was living elsewhere. I remember where I was living. Okay. Maybe I forgot, and I don't know what I'm talking about. It's all good. Yeah, so Eccleston, tenure, 26 March to 18 June 2005. 2005, okay, yeah, yeah I'm way yeah. off. Yeah. All right, fair yeah. enough. So yeah, cool. they've been at it for a while again, and it's, I mean, it's still kicking. It's still got ideas, but... But yeah, it's time time to regenerate the show. <laughs> Luckily, they can do um, that. It's just baked in. It's good. And then uh, the other day, I watched the best thing I've seen on TV in a while. The first episode of Peacemaker. Holy shit, guys. <laughs> but just the first episode. You haven't gone any further. I, yeah, I... I Ooh, man, I was I was pretty happy with just the first episode. There's more, and it's it's getting rolled out week by week. Eric, you need to watch Peacemaker. Um, this is James Gunn not having to care about a mainstream audience again, um, and just going for all of it: violence and sex and misogyny and shitty people and. Um, hilarity and just goofy, goofy shit. They, they let him just go berserk with this show. So it's James Gunn unleashed. I mean, the Suicide Squad was also that. So anyway, yeah. Peacemaker, man. Uh, Eric, I'm, I'm itching for you to watch this thing. Uh, <laughs> they... <laughs> John Cena... Okay, so John Cena's dad is played by John Voight. Oh, wait, no. I mean Robert Patrick who really, really looks like John Voight now. Um, and he is just the most racist, bigoted, like, asshole on the face of the earth. So this is, like, the abuse that the Peacemaker... They're actually kind of giving you that window into why is Peacemaker who he is. Yeah. And it's because his dad is just a piece of shit. And after all the things that Peacemaker's done in Suicide Squad, the dad's just like... I'm so fucking disappointed in what a pussy you are. <laughs> it's just like his whole deal. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I loved it. Um, definitely, definitely looking forward to the rest of that. So, well, hopefully the yeah, momentum will stay. There's something worth watching. Hooray! <sighs> okay. Okay. All right. Should we get to the main topic? Oh, yeah. let's. more of an explanation on your guys's parts of why 
Just why? <laughs> why? <laughs> okay, so the Harry Potter films. It is the 20th anniversary, so there's a big marketing push going on right now. Yes. And that marketing push largely seems to be centered around Warner Brothers claiming that there are only movies and they were not written by any particular person. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which is bogus because all of the people involved with those films will will talk about J.K. Rowling first and foremost yeah. as the impetus. And uh, I, I want to go there, but I, I, um, I mean, okay, maybe let's just get that out of the way. Okay, guys, this isn't going to be a whole cancel culture thing, but I just want to say this. Um, I know that people who are close to me who are trans are beyond pissed off about jk rowling being a turf i get that Mm -hmm. uh if you want to reject her and everything she does because of that totally on your side here's the thing about art in general right especially nowadays when basically you know if you're a republican you probably liked art made by a a liberal and vice versa if you're a liberal you probably liked art made by somebody whose values you cannot stand and I think it's okay to like art made by people you don't want to associate with. I think that's okay, folks. I think we can like music by Kid Rock if we want to. Although he sucks, music, but that's because his music sucks. Lily Reichenstahl did uh, a documentary about the Nazis that was so well framed and shot, George Lucas stole a lot of it for yeah. Star Wars. Well, exactly. I'll, I'll give you a better example. Roll Dahl. Okay, everybody wants to remember fondly Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Nobody wants to remember that Roald Dahl was a huge, publicly, like, unapologetic anti-Semite. Yeah. Okay? It's like, you can like the movie with or the book without embracing everything that the creator was. Well, it's, yeah, it's basically separating the art from the artist. And the, the book's... Are a whole other thing. I think uh, t- today we're mostly talking about the movies, was my understanding, which is that's like all corporate Warner Brothers, like, yeah, Rowling had a say, but it's like it takes an entire brigade of people to make movies like this. And I think that dilutes some of it where you get the general themes, but uh, I think it's a whole and, other and ball of wax. Didn't the whole J.K. Rowling thing start with people being like, how come you don't have more gay characters? How come you don't have more trans? How come you don't have any trans characters in there? It's like, um, yeah, maybe, but why don't you write your own fucking book? You know? <laughs> well, yeah. I, think, I mean, seriously. I think what, I think what happened, first of all, the movies don't exist without J.K. Rowling's, frankly, ridiculously good um, storytelling and world building. They are good books, okay? Yes, they're written by a turf, but good books. And they're written good imagination. by a turf? Yeah, it's a term for transphobes. Just oh. don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, she tends to put her it, own, it, it, own foot in her own mouth on Twitter and such, which is part of the problem. And, and then she I, doesn't I walk them back. I think the reason that people are so... Uh, extra upset at her is that she has been inclusive in just about every other way. When they cast a black actress to play Hermione in the Broadway show of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, she was like, hey, the canon says that Hermione has like really curly hair and is smart and all of that. And this all checks out. So yeah, suck it up, black Hermione, right? So she was, she was, I think, embraced by 
uh, the social justice people, you know, she retroactively declared that Dumbledore was gay, and and then suddenly there was a line, and Rowling wouldn't cross it, and then everybody got very yeah um, stupid, shocked Just by stupid. that. I mean, yeah. this is this is yeah. It's like honestly, again, there's some guy who wrote some book somewhere where that was like also had no uh, gay or trans characters in it, and nobody protested because nobody's heard of him. The yeah. only reason yeah. that you 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 lace into somebody like J.K. Rowling is she succeeded. Yeah. So have we have we addressed the elephant in the room I, enough to ignore it for the rest of the podcast? Yeah, because it's <laughs> otherwise it'll just bog everything else down. Yeah. Uh, so I'd rather talk. This is about Harry Potter. So <laughs> yeah, to, the story to answer of the movies. so to answer Eric's question of why, uh, I can only speak for myself and not Brian. I am not like a huge screamy weemy fanboy for Harry Potter. I'm very late to the game. I had worked at Borders when the books, I think the fourth book was coming out, Goblet of Fire, and I had never heard of it before, but everybody was going apeshit and losing their minds about it. So I decided I would try to read the series just to find out what the craziness was for. I think I made it through Chamber of Secrets and I had to just put it away because I'm like, this is just a fucking giant Scooby-Doo kids adventure book gussied up with all of the magic and stuff. (laughs) I'm like, I just, I don't get it. I don't fucking care uh, if you want to like it that's great so then when the movies came out she hadn't even finished the series Warner Brothers was taking a giant gamble on this but it was already so hugely successful mm-hmm. uh, but that to me is why this is interesting to talk about because it falls in with like Lord of the Rings and the MCU and then this because Lord of the Rings uh, even like Back to the Future 2 and 3 they filmed it all together and that was something that wasn't usually done. It was like massive in scope. Everybody loved it. Uh, the MCU, they drew it out over like 10 years across 25 movies and connected them all. That had never really been done. Harry Potter is like the only one where it's like they took seven books and filmed them in order and just kept the same core characters and let them grow up on screen. That's a huge yeah, investment. By and of large, time. the same cast. Yeah. That's never happened. That is a huge investment um, of time, money. Uh, expenditure, efforts. I mean, it's just crazy that they got them all done and didn't really have many hiccups. Like, yeah, Richard Harris died after the second one, but you can recast. I mean, it's just little stuff like that. So it's just, it's as a a movie-making enterprise, this thing is just, to me, is just astonishing that they pulled any of it off whatsoever. But then also that they had sense enough to bring in different directors for the course of the stories because each one takes Mm -hmm. a little bit of a turn and the themes become a little bit darker and different and so the way they shepherded it to me is is good they're they're hardcore just popcorn entertainments and they're fun they're great to just turn on in the background you don't have to think about it uh so to me they're like like the star wars movies they're just they're there you get enough of it but it's just kind of shiny and fun to watch so and that's you've still one. never taken to the novels. I, I liked the, the books actually quite a bit, but it took me, uh, like the first three were the, it's when the kids start growing mm-hmm. up and then you start seeing that shit's about to get real with Voldemort, mm-hmm. right? that it becomes a much more interesting series because then you realize that it's a thinly veiled parable for the rise of fascism and how to combat <laughs> it. And yeah. And then it becomes a much more interesting story to me. But you have to get through like the, the innocent kitty stuff first to follow that whole yeah. journey. And that to me is that that's a lot of patience that Rowling had to bring that all to so, fruition. 
the way the way I came to these stories was I actually have um, a daughter who's you know grown ass adult you know millennial, um, and she had started reading the books and I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, the first movie came out and I watched it and I'm like, okay, this is kind of neat. And then at that point I started borrowing her books and I started reading them. And so I caught up to the books and then th- actually the second book chamber of secrets is where it got its hooks into me from reading the book, uh, between the first two movies. And then, uh, you know, at that point we, yeah, we were about a goblet of fire book wise. And it was obvious that the books were really going places. And so I, I was very much, reading the books ahead of the films and then watching the films after the fact. So I had yeah. that that experience of film adaptation, which is, oh my God, they edited every goddamn thing out <laughs> of this thing and it's just barely the outline of the book. But here, Eric, the reason I bring all that up is my answer to why is I wanted to watch the movies again after enough time had passed that I'd forgotten all of those details and I could address them as... A movie series, at, you know, on its own merits, because I'm not going to remember all the little thingies that that got cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was why I got in. Plus, you know, it's just look, we've been in we've been in our houses for two years, and at some point, you're like, well, we need a thing to watch, and this was a you know a quality thing worth watching. So watched it. Well, as series go, I mean, it's just so enormous. It's got a whole life of its own. It's exactly like Star Wars. I mean, it's got theme parks. The books, the like the extended films with Fantastic Beasts. I mean, the whole thing is just taken off like a rocket ship. So it's when you yeah. when you watch the movies, uh, it, you kind of just get lost in all of that bigness. I think is probably the, the only way I can describe I, it for me. You know what I mean? I've yeah, I've read all the books, and I think I stopped watching the films once I got through the last book because I was like, okay, I got it now. And yeah. there's no reason to watch oh, okay. the movies. Because uh, I think the last one I saw was the fourth one. Uh, Goblet of Fire. of Fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then I finished them and then I was like, okay, yeah, good. Uh, but the thing I loved about those books is, okay, it's, it's a, it starts with a world of assholery and you know, people being horrible to, to the main characters, mm-hmm. so to us. And then he's taken to a place where it's like, you know what? You don't have to take that shit. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, like Hogwarts is sort of a safety zone. There's bullies there too, but you know, the playing field has been leveled. So you don't have to worry about, you know, the assholes. Yeah. And that's what I liked about those books is the safety of Hogwarts and then learning, I don't know, how to get above and beyond it. Yeah. Well, what I liked to, about this to me the the thing that was special about the books at the time, and and that is also special about the movies, is Rowling did a great job of aging the perspective of the characters year by year, and that because the movies were able to hold on to the same core cast of the kids, the movies were able to mirror that. So in yeah. a lot of ways. Every book is kind of telling the exact same story, but it's telling that story from the perspective of somebody at a different point in their life, yeah. a different point of growing up. Yeah. And I just, I find that to be very uh, interesting and very rich. Eric, I don't blame you for dropping off the movies at Goblet of Fire, because that was the point where the books were really kicking into gear, and that movie is 
one of the worst of all the movies. <laughs> it's so well. It's I, so. I I, so I, dense. I just want to say the 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 books handle the way the books handle that the movie I don't think could. Uh, but every every book early on has the Weasley House chapter where they all meet up right. to go to school, mm-hmm. and that's where you get to see where what's happened to the characters over the summer what's you know how have they changed what's the slight change in arc that's gonna sort of dictate the story this time yeah and so it is kind of neat that they found a different way to do that in the movies well for me it's goblet of fire sort of the the hinge for the whole series because those like and even Prisoner of Azkaban, which has some dark themes and it goes some places, but it's still pretty much just a kid's adventure movie and they're fleshing out the... But once like the, they kill Cedric Diggory, shit gets yeah. real. But then that's it. It's, you get yep. through the, the end and then suddenly Voldemort is real and suddenly it's like this thing that everybody's been talking about with hushed tones and oh shit is finally manifested and then he fucking kills Cedric Diggory and then there's the whole thing where harry potter like magically gets the cup and then they uh zap back into the the quidditch pitch and everybody goes yay and then you realize that cedric diggory is dead that's like the end of the movie i was like holy fuck me yeah. i mean it, it, it yeah, takes you left to center it's diggory's dad just having a total breakdown yeah. like that actor brought it for that yeah. shot right and, you know yeah. yeah and so for me it's like that's the hinge because because suddenly Harry Potter sees death up close and personal, and you're like, "This is this is not a kids' movie anymore, not even yeah. slightly." <laughs> so, yeah. But I, uh, I, 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 I don't know if the movies ever caught it, but like, I my my thing, the thing I got from the book always was that uh, it's not, you know, ultimately it's not that Harry Potter had some special ability to fight Voldemort. It's that Harry Potter is going to be the one guy who says, no, fuck this guy, and actually fights. Yeah. Because everyone else was willing to just roll over and show their belly. So this, this is really, and we're, and we're talking about the crux of the whole series, both in the books and the movies. This is like books four and five, right? And it, it was funny. For me, you know, I loved the book of four. When I read the book of five, I didn't like it as much. Didn't like the mo- movie of four. Loved the movie of five. The movie of of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, this is the point where director David Yates joins the series, and once he's there, he never leaves. He's still making the the Fantastic Beasts films. This guy yeah. has. They have not changed directors since they found him, and huh. he gets the darkness. Man, oh man, do they go dark! And they just get darker and darker and darker. Yeah. But rewatching Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix after having lived through Trump exactly. is <laughs> it's a whole different movie, guys. It's, yeah. Um, like Dolores And, Umbridge, and probably man. the main reason I wanted to bring it to the show, right? Like, this is, I mean, you got Cornelius Fudge who's basically declaring everything about Voldemort to be fake news and is putting up big Cornelius Fudge banners and making it all about Fudge, and we can't really get into that because it'll affect him politically. And you've got toadies like Dolores Umbridge, who is like, you know, Betsy DeVos and Mike Pence and all of them rolled into one. And you watch it and you're just like, once again... 
everybody who was warning about fascism yeah. was warning because they were trying to say, hey, this is what it's like. Don't go down this path. And we've seen these stories. We've all seen these stories. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I like it that they kind of set the tone for the uh, what will eventually become the wizardry underground uh, by the mm-hmm. Deathly Hallows, where they have to sneak back into Hogwarts and the whole nine yards. Uh, but I like it too because you also start to see the other peripheral characters show up, and they actually take the time to explore them as well, which yeah. not everybody would do. They would stick to the main three. But you get a very good arc for Draco Malfoy, who is such a shit at the beginning. But then by the end, you realize that he's a shit because his dad is a fucking sociopath. <laughs> and yeah. he's the peacemaker. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I love seeing interviews with, uh, what's his name? Jeremy Strong, Mark Strong. I can't remember his name right now. Jason Isaacs, uh, who plays Jason, I, yeah. Yeah, who, pl- who yeah. plays Lucius Malfoy. He's like, uh, he didn't come in until the second movie, but he saw the first one and saw what they were doing with Draco. And he's like, so I basically wanted to play someone who would bring empathy to the little kid because he was such a shit. <laughs> and so he's like, so I'm going to, so I'm just going to treat him so horribly uh, through the duration. And so people can start to get empathy for Draco. And then by the end, when Draco can't kill Dumbledore and then Snape steps in, I mean, it's like, that's, that's a tough arc. And the, the kid pulls it off. I got to tell you. And it's, it's, that's a, that's a heartrending moment when you kind of see him just break emotionally in that scene's like i just i can't do it i can't do it and then it's all sort of like so draco's not a baddie anymore damn so it's they they walk a lot of tight ropes it's very strange he's a sympathetic character they didn't treat him like a cardboard cutout yeah which is what you know he kind of was in the beginning he was just that bully from school and we all hate him Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the real bully in school is Harry's dad. At, the, at no point does Harry's dad do anything, at least in the films, to redeem the fact that he was just kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> well, that and that's well, and that sets the whole thing for Snape too, which I can't imagine anybody but Alan Rickman playing that part after watching these films. Uh, yeah, Alan Rickman is perfect because <laughs> because it's again you start out and you're like he's just the cutout baddie. And then through the course of the thing, you realize that he had such a deep affection for Harry's mother that he basically became a double agent for Dumbledore and did so much stuff that was horrible that made everybody hate him just so he could get in and finish the deal. And then by the end in Deathly Hallows, when the fucking snake kills him, I mean, that like that scene literally hurts me to watch because it's just like, oh, why do you have to go out like that, man? Why? Uh, and then, uh, and then they roll R- through. Rickman's delivery throughout the series because he he is the master of like slowing down and pausing and dragging out a syllable and just having this look of utter contempt on his face when he speaks <laughs> yeah. any line. Mister right? just... Potter. Mm. Um. Yeah. No. He's he's phenomenal. But I mean, just think about that um, cast, though. I mean, all like they got all the unknown kids, but just the supporting adult actors. So you got Rickman, Maggie Smith, uh, Richard Harris, then became uh, Michael Gambone, uh, John Hurt, John Hurt, David Tennant, yeah, Robbie Coltrane. Uh, I mean, it's like literally yeah. the the who's who of English actors are in this thing. I and tell you just, though, it's that island. It's like everyone on that island can act. 
It, they they don't even the bad <laughs> actors are like really good American actors. Go into any pub in England and go, "Man delights me not, no woman, though your smile seems to say so." And uh, someone will say, "I had no such stuff in my thoughts, my lord." It will they will jump yeah. in and do it it's because just everybody the, can act. It's in the water. I'm pretty sure you've actually tried this. Yeah. <laughs> if he, you have not, I think yeah. you've just found an item on Eric's bucket yeah. list. <laughs> go in and like gorilla act on british people it's yeah. yes long yeah oh my but, god this could be a whole youtube channel yeah. eric baits the brits yeah <laughs> but he's got a point because even Just like fire off some random shakespeare yeah. yeah yeah but even like warwick davis is in this thing and he plays like 700 roles i mean anytime you need like a, <laughs> yeah. sh- a short person to play a role uh he's there but he all like any role he's in it quits himself like he he's one of the professors but then he's also like the the gringotts goblin so by deathly hollows he's got a bunch of scenes with him and it's like oh yeah that's that's another another thing i think that maybe is uh worth going i don't know about (laughs) the harry potter series are you know yeah the the greedy long-nosed jews that run the bank yeah it's i mean it's all uh (laughs) yeah but you put it in perspective it is nowhere near as troublesome as these fantastic beast movies especially that second one because you've got johnny depp you've got ezra miller it's like that is just a cast that screams like oh my god you know yeah they actually kicked johnny depp out he's been replaced by mads mickelson for the next one (laughs) so it's like so it's it's hard to hard to uh, get away from i i don't I'm not finding the Fantastic Beasts movies to be fun at all, but They're a lot of that has yeah. to do with prequelitis. Yeah, um, I, I don't care. It's I just, think I think these Harry Potter movies do stand up. I think the biggest problem is that they are adaptations of longer books, and that's why they split the last one into two. Well, that and money, money, money. But yeah. um, if you watch them now, the thing the thing that's really in your face, especially if you're watching them you know, closer together than a span of a year like they were coming out in the theaters. Just how much of the plot of these movies is deus ex machina or other people basically solving Harry's problems for him. Harry doesn't do shit. Like, he's just incredibly lucky and everybody keeps bailing him out over and over for, like, several books. And and so it's it you know it's Harry Potter and the ridiculous luck of, you know... Again, as I say, that's really sort of his, you know, his thing was never that he had great skill. You know, it was the boy who lived, lived because of other people making sure yes. he did. Yeah. His whole strength is just telling everyone else, you know, come on, everybody, let's go get that asshole. You yeah. know, it's yeah, like, it's I'm not afraid. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's it. He's yeah. just, he's just the guy carrying the flag, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that thematically is drawn out uh, through Neville Longbottom. Uh, if if you want who, to get right who, yeah. to it, was the other one who sh- they? It's I. I, I remember mm-hmm. thinking. I think Neville is actually the the savior in this. Yeah, story. He, wouldn't exactly. that have been great? Yeah, he's he's the quiet hero. But by the time you get to Deathly Hallows and they've got the big showdown, and then uh, they all like Voldemort's army shows up, and Harry's dead, and Voldemort's like, "Okay, give me the give me the keys to the kingdom. We're done." And Neville's like, no, fuck you. I mean, he literally just stands up. This kid who's been bullied the entire time and has been very timid through most of the series until like the end finally just says no. He's like, yeah, Harry's dead, but so what? There are a lot of people that are dead. 
So let's get on with it, shall we? I mean, it's like, holy crap. It's like, this is not Neville from the first movie. This is like, this is, he long bottomed. I mean, there's a term for it, long bottomed, where it's like, you know, the the goose into the gander kind of a thing. And it's so like, whoa. And that's a very potent moment. And that draws the theme together. Because like, yeah, everybody is part of Harry's life, but they're also more than Harry. And so that's how these movements become potent is like, well, you've got the titular leader or the symbol, but when it becomes outside that, then there's no stopping it. And so that's, I think, a very potent message uh, to push forth. But Neville's the perfect messenger for it, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I don't have as much to say about this as as I well, thought I did. Let's try this. Of the <laughs> yeah. of the eight films, which is your favorite and why? And and as I and I mean like on its own, not like uh as part of the larger arc, but just <sighs> as a film. That's tough I, because I, I can I'll, answer this one because my favorite yeah. is without a doubt Prisoner of Azkaban because oh, yeah. as as a standalone we, film, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because we had the first two Chris Columbus ones, which were serviceable. Yeah. But uh, then you get Alfonso Curran, who comes in, who I think, I think had, the last film he did before this was Itu Mama Tambien, which is all like sexy, sexy. And there is a scene in this film where Harry and, uh, 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 oh, I can't remember his name. Red hair. Weasel. Ron. They, Ron. Ron. Both like hug uh hermione but like harry in the front and ron in the back and it totally looks like the same kind of freeway <laughs> scene from yeah. mama tambien yes. in the poster look at the poster for uh azkaban and they're all like kind of sexy posed you know but but harry's got his wand and it's pointing right at his dick Hey now, uh, I don't <laughs> think that's a mistake. Hey, uh, no, my no. favorite part of this the whole is the thing horniest is... Harry Potter movie by <laughs> yeah, a lot. Excuse me, yeah. sir. It's not yeah. called his dick. Yeah. It's his Patronus. Okay, get the terminology <laughs> correct. Uh, <laughs> it's a stag. Yeah. But the, the the my favorite part of this whole film is the Quidditch match, which up to now it's been like any sports scene from any movie. It's like ten minutes of and Harry's got blah, blah, blah. no. Yeah. This is there's no dialogue. Watch it and and you'll realize no one says a goddamn word and everything that happens is, um, it's just like a series of images, really, not, 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 not a linear series of images. And it's, it's so amazingly artistically done and they take a whole chapter and they basically jam it into like 90 seconds, I think. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I just remember watching it over and over and going, "God damn, no! They got everything in the chapter into this yeah. little bit." Well, I think from visually, a, yeah, from a pure s- filmmaking s- standpoint, uh, Azkaban is tops from the whole series because of Quaron, because he's such a stylist. Uh, you, I yeah. don't think you. That's just as a movie itself within this larger series. It is definitely standalone in the way that it looks. And the well, way that it's put together. And special mention to Quran and his editor for the whole final act, because Prisoner of Azkaban is also a time travel movie, and it holds up. Yeah. Like, the time travel loop that happens, it doesn't have a paradox in it other than two people in the same place at the same, you know, one person in the same place at the same time. But, but like, mm-hmm. if you're willing to accept that, it, it doesn't break the way a lot of time travel stuff does. Yeah. 
Um, it's real tight. Uh, Eric, about the, the the sexual chemistry thing, this is true throughout the movies. It's just unfortunate that at all times, uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson have way more chemistry than she has with Rupert Grant, who's supposed to be the guy. <laughs> yeah. And it just... It, well... It... it, it, it Kind of makes the movies weird, although they do capitalize on it, I have to say, during Deathly Hallows, because Ron has a whole bunch of insecurity about that, and they put it on the screen, well, uh, I love which it is too. great. When you hear uh, Radcliffe and Watson talk about that, too, they're like, that. I think it was Daniel Radcliffe said that's his favorite scene, or maybe it was Emma, but basically when they're, they're doing the dance in the tent to Nick Cave, mm-hmm. they said the day before they mm-hmm. shot that, like, Daniel Radcliffe was just... Uh, approached by David Yates, the director, he's like, so we want to do a, a scene where you and Hermione dance uh, to Nick Cave. And he's like, wait, this is a, a Harry Potter movie, right? We're like, <laughs> like Nick Cave? What are you talking about? And it's like this, <laughs> but it's this very sweet moment. But I think uh, they all grew up together behind the scenes. And I think Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson had a very sibling-like bond. Yeah. And they, and they were very, yeah. very close. I mean, Grint too, sure. But uh I got a sense that that they they really got on together very well, and uh, that carries. Yeah, they across. talk about that in the little special that's on HBO Max right now, like the um, enter- the Entertainment Tonight special. Sibling. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so yeah, it's just um, it's interesting to watch the the way that they grow up on screen together and and the way their dynamic changes. Because when you get to Deathly Hollows and Emma Watson and River Grant have to do the kiss, they finally kiss. They said yeah. it was the most awkward scene to film <laughs> at all oh, yeah. like it's like kissing my brother i mean it's like what yeah <laughs> so well apparently she had the hots for tom felton but anyway yeah. <laughs> according to that special yeah um close runner up for me on movies is gonna be five i mean three stands alone as a as a complete thought whereas five is definitely part of a serial right but but boy oh boy did they bring the goods the only thing that they didn't really capitalize on in five that was so great in the book that is just kind of barely referenced in the movie is the fact that they're hiding out in uh Sirius's black Sirius Black's family home and there's a painting of his mother who just is a death eater and hates all of these fuckers and is howling at them the whole time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not in the movie at all. Yeah. Uh but you but, get oh well. but you get the house elf creature and the whole nine yards. But yeah, I would say yeah. Lord of the Phoenix is also my favorite, just because it is just so unapologetically dark. I mean, they Goblet of Fire ends with Cedric Diggory being dead, and they just basically all bets are off at that point. So this one, it's like okay, fascism is pretty much just stepped in, and you get all this stuff with Dolores Umbridge, and she is so mm-hmm. easy to hate. And is she? Oh yeah, and yeah. she's just she's portrayed amazing, so that well. Actress. Like the scene where she makes Harry Potter write down for his punishment. I must and then, not tell lies. Yeah, and then it like etches into his skin because of the charm yeah. it's on. It's like that is just holy. And uh, yeah, at that point you're like, well, they're they're either gonna just give in or they're gonna go, nope, screw you. We're gonna fight this all the way to the dead. <laughs> and so they do. So it's the Turning Point movie. So yeah. That's your answer, Eric. Yeah, <laughs> Leviosa. Oh, all right. Leviosa. So, I'll I'll take us out with what I think is easily the worst thing in the Harry Potter movies, and it will be the music that's about to play here. Technically, it's by the Weird Sisters, but it's the lead singer of Pulp, 
doing you, the fucking song don't you from Goblet dare, of Fire don't you during the dare. Yule Ball. Do the hippogriff. That's Jarvis Why? Cocker, sir. You do why? not. Do not dis Jarvis <laughs> Cocker. How tell dare us why. you? Tweet at us and tell us why. We are at MagHuge. M-A-G-H-U-G-E. Tell us why on Instagram or Facebook or the Magnificently Huge podcast. Email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. Tell us why. Why does this... And why? send us your Harry Potter fanfic where the three of them go to the bone zone. I love reading <laughs> fanfic, especially when it's dirty. Yeah. You can find all of our episodes and links to all that junk at maghuge.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Share with your friends. Come back next week for more podcast. Yeah, or don't. Yeah. Whatever. Yay. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs>